Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And today is Thursday, May 26th, 27th, excuse me, and we celebrate the revelation of the Holy Spirit in this Pentecost season. The color is green. Well, for most of it, the Sunday will be white, but it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is with us, giving us Christ, pointing our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to our Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what we do this hour as we gather around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Psalm 3. David fled, it tells us in this psalm, that he fled from his own son that we learn about in 2 Samuel. Now imagine that for a moment. Your son you have to flee from. What would you write down? What would you pray with the enormity of such a situation? And he prays today to remind us on how we should pray in the most anxious of situations. It's time to learn, ponder, and proclaim the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor Brian Stecker of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. Pastor Stecker, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thank you, Pastor Finneran. It's good to be back. Pastor, so tell us what's going on for you, your beloved family, and the work of the saints at Grace Lutheran. Yes, our family's been very blessed. We um, we just celebrated the birth of our second child, our uh, son. Our first uh, first was a daughter. Uh, she's about 18 months old. And then our son was born on April 5th. So uh, he's been healthy. Our family's been blessed. My wife's been doing well. So we've been um, adjusting to two kids. It's been fun. And um, you learn by experience in life, don't you? <laughs> you really do. You really do. Um, when, when was the baptism? Or when is it? It baptism? was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had it. I can't even tell you the date, actually. But it was it was two weeks ago, I think. Two two okay. Sundays ago, if that sounds right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that went well. And it was actually cool because we had the live stream set up with our sanctuary because of everything over the past year. So my family back in Indiana, my wife's family back in Canada, they were able to watch the baptism. So that was that was nice. Oh, that's a lot of fun. I remember when our kids were little and uh, we had pastor friends and everything else. And my, my one friend, he would say, my uh, pastor Brady's uh, daughter, Kaisa, is going to be baptized into Christ. And he would start celebrating. So you can just imagine your family from afar, you know, just celebrating really loudly as your child was baptized into Christ. What do you think? You think they did that? I think they did. In fact, uh, when we were done, we had, yeah, <laughs> we had a lot of feedback on the phones and, you know, texts and stuff. Everyone was very excited. Oh, it's so much fun. So much fun. Anything else uh, going on at Grace or anything else? Yeah, so the um, th- things are going well here. We're, we're continuing in our process of, um, you know, of opening up. And I think we're, we're actually about a step away from being back to how things were uh, prior to last March. So that's exciting. And um, uh, so things have been, been going well in that fashion. And you know, now we're able to start using our resources to, to look towards things to the future. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe maybe working on a classical school here in the area. We think it's kind of a regional need. Uh, but either way, we're really focusing on um, education for our, our children and such in the church. 
Well, God's blessings to you with that. And as we look at today, a reminder to our listeners that one 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 thing that we've done that I've done in, in uh, for Thy Strong Word is that we've taken a step back from the transition from First Kings to Second Kings. That we wanted to just you know breathe a little bit, probably pray a little bit is probably the right term for it. And we've been focusing on um, Psalm two yesterday, today is Psalm three, and then tomorrow will be Psalm one forty nine. I realize this about myself, Pastor, and I'd like to hear how you are. If I start with Psalm 1, I might never get to Psalm 150. So I thought, hey, I'll do this like back and forth thing um, and see how this works out. Do you have the same problem as me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the cool things about the Psalms, right, is you don't have, there's no reason to read it in order. Um, although I will say when, um, when when COVID hit last year, we, uh, we, uh, we did a study on the Psalms and that was kind of a Bible study I did for about nine months. And we correlated it with comp line in the evenings that we would run and we would, we would integrate the Psalms in there. I think that's the first time I've ever gone through the Psalms one through one. I think it's one fifty, give or take. Um, that was the first time I've ever gone through in that order. Um, and you Mm. do find, you find there's certain bunches where all the Psalms sound kind of similar. So I think it actually works the way you're doing it to, to jump around and find some different themes and such. Yeah, and that's why I'm excited that we're in Psalm 3, especially because it has a context. It actually tells us when David wrote this and the the situation that was there, which is even more exciting because then you're able to dig a little deeper when you understand what was actually happening while he prayed, which then helps us to pray um, when we have a similar situation. Well, hopefully we don't ever have a situation where um, your beloved son, whom you just baptized, will want you to Mm. flee. You have to flee from him. But it does remind us of how we come to our Lord. So, Pastor, on that note, can you begin our time in prayer for us? Yes, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, giving us your Son. We thank you for giving us the Church and your Word. Uh, We thank you that you invite us into prayer, that we can study your Psalms and learn about uh, how we are to pray, how we are to communicate, and even connect with your Son as he prays the very words that you've given us in the Psalms. Help us to uh, understand your Word. Help it to enliven our hearts and our minds to uh, grow in love with you and grow in love to the neighbor. In all things, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions for us this morning, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And also the second day we are doing this, Pastor Secker, you unfortunately not the first day we're doing this, but you're the second day where we are receiving phone calls. So if you have any questions, call us at either 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or 314 821 So give us a call if you have a question as well. All of it, I'm full confidence, and I know that Pastor Secker is a great researcher, so I'm sure he'll have all the answers, right, Pastor? Well, we can put us to the test. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. So so a reminder to our listeners, open up your Bibles to Psalm 3. And one of the great parts, as I mentioned prior to this, is there's sometimes a psalm comes and you you have no idea what the context is. We can dig, we can guess, we don't really know why the author wrote it. But here in Psalm 3, right below the what what typically our Bibles has is like the headline for this one. It's Save Me, O God. But right below it, it says a Psalm of David, which tells us David wrote this and sung this and made it for music. But also it says when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, Pastor, can you give us an introduction of this uh, or tell us about this story and to understand the psalm better? 
Yeah, as you referenced, you know, it's um, it, it's a sad story, um, especially, you know, if you kind of put yourself in David's shoes, you know, you mentioned, uh-huh. I know you've got, is it four kids? Is that right? I do have four kids. Yes. Yeah. You know, you can imagine, you know, one of one of your biggest fears is what if your relationship went sour with them? And um, mm-hmm. in David's situation, he, uh, you know, he, he's got a lot of family issues that he struggles with. God blesses him in many ways, but David really faces a lot of struggles, um, you know, and with his with his children. You know, if we look at his first three children, um, his first son, Abnon, um, you know, had an unfortunate situation with his sister, Tamar, where he, he acted very inappropriately. And um, uh, after that, he fled. Absalom was the uh, his third son. And Absalom swore revenge that he was going to go out and, and kill Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. Um, the second son in there, I think his name was Chilean. Um, we don't hear much about him. It's likely that he died at an early age. So right there, we see David's first three born, uh, f- first three sons um, have a very unfortunate situation. So um, eventually Absalom does go out and um, he eventually succeeds in um, uh, avenging or, or killing Amnon. Um, against David's wishes. David didn't wish for Amnon to be killed. Um, he was looking for some form of reconciliation. So after that happens, Absalom, um, he stays in exile for a while. He's uh, scared to come back to David. He finally does come back to David, but um, when he does, you know, there's never really reconciliation. So there's a lot of conflict there. Um, so right there, we see David's really struggling with his relationships with his first three sons. Um, a lot of tragedy there. Uh, but of those first three, Absalom is, uh, you know, the one that remains. And uh, at that point, he Absalom really starts to think of insurrection. And he, he really wants to um, uh, become the next king. He's very much liked by the people. Um, I think Luther notes uh, his name. I can't remember what it is specifically, but it's something like um, the man of peace. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, on the surface, Absalom is a, a man of the people. You know, he really connects mm-hmm. with them. They like him. It's kind of the promise of peace. But. Um, it's a very surface level piece. And as we see, it really goes awry. So, uh, yeah, so Absalom, he really gains a lot of support with the people. And eventually he he decides that he wants to um, overthrow his father and, and take his kingdom. And uh, and David, you know, and that's that's that kind of brings us to here. But um, there's a little interesting story here. It's one of my favorite stories, actually. So if I can just yeah. reference it. Go for it's, it. Um, let's see if I can remember the names. I think it's it's Hushai and Ahithophel. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, so Absalom is, is outside of the city and he's, he's gained a lot of support within the city to overthrow David. And he's wondering, is this the time that I should go and try to overthrow David? In fact, should I do it tonight? And um, Ahithophel was the man of wisdom. He was, he was you know, the, the main advisor for Absalom. Um, and he's advising uh, him to go in tonight. He says, go in tonight and overthrow David. And if you do, you'll have success. Um, but previous to this, David had sent in one of his wise men, whose name was Hushai. So Hushai goes in and he makes friends with Absalom and kind of, um, you know, he, 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 uh, he becomes part of the team, I guess. So Absalom goes to Hushai and he says, okay, this is what Ahithophel says. I should go in tonight. What do you think? And Hushai works to undermine the pl- Absalom's plans. So he says, <laughs> well, true. you know, and, and he, pr- he kind of <laughs> plays on his fears. And he's like, well, you know, David was a mighty man. I remember all the wars and such that he's fought. Um, and by the way, the people love you, you know, so he, he plays on yeah, his pride as right. well. And he's like, so they'll, they'll come to your support. Just be patient. And um, and so Absalom decides not to. And, and it does the way it's, it's written. It does seem that if he would have done so, he may have been successful. And at that moment, Ahithophel actually goes and he takes his own life because he says, you know, 
uh, no longer is there wisdom here in Absalom. And um, so, so, uh, so anyway, Absalom waits. David gets a heads up. He ends up fleeing. So now he's out in the countryside as Absalom comes into the city. And, you know, this is then when David sits down and he writes Psalm 3, you know, in this, in this real moment of tragedy, um, of uncertainty, of doubt of who he is and, and whether or not God's on his side. And this is that, that is a great overview of this because like we like like I mentioned, that is very important for us to know because it isn't like, oh, I think Absalom doesn't like me. I'm just gonna go outside the city for a few days. We're talking fleeing for his life. We're talking that behind the scenes, even in this is from Second Samuel 15, really till 17 is what Pastor is referencing this morning. And it really comes to the point where he's intentionally doing this, going around the city, um, telling people, oh, if you only had a better king that could judge this better. Um, he's he's telling them, whenever you have a chance, yell, Absalom is king, um, whatever. He's, I mean, he's doing all this underhanded stuff and people are telling him, people love you. You know, if we could vote in a democracy, you would definitely win the king job. I mean, the whole thing is happening. And it wasn't simply just to become king and then put your dad in the corner or something. This was dad would be gone and I would be king. So it is a very, imagine for a moment that your child did that to you. How would that resonate in your heart and your soul is probably the way we should be looking at this psalm. Other thoughts on the background of this, Pastor? Hmm. Yeah, I think it really really brings you into the kind of the psychological state. I mean, you can think, I mean, I don't know what, what kind of, you're mentioning kind of the dialogue that's going on in the streets, you know, a good strategy mm-hmm. from Absalom. You know, I wonder what are your thoughts on what kind of taunts do you think that David might've been receiving, you know? From, from who now? Well, from, from the people, right. From, from Absalom, from his adversaries, uh, you know, I, I feel right. like, you know, they could, they, they could look to so many things in his life. You know, they might look back, you know, for instance, at um, his situation with Bathsheba, and say, right. you know, ah, well, look, look, the people are turning against you. Your son's turning against you. You know, maybe, maybe God has left you. You know, you could, you could even go back and say, well, maybe you weren't actually forgiven with what happened there. You know, maybe this is God bringing his judgment against you. So you can just see David, David's got to be facing all sorts of doubts on whether or not God is going to be his salvation, um, you know, and all these things. So it's got to be a very, very dark place to be. He's down in the valley, um, which puts the proper perspective on what he writes. What do you do down in that place? Well, there definitely is that reality that you see um, evil working here where you bring it up. He obviously had the question in his heart of, am I saved? And this is something that I think a lot of people have more than we admit in our culture, that when you actually come down to, to brass, you know, to, to brass tacks is that is are you am I actually saved is the question. And, and people definitely were bringing up things to say, you know what, God doesn't want you to be king anymore. And this wasn't just kingdom issues. This was a faith issue. Um, let's look at your past. The taunts of you remember Bathsheba, you remember Uriah, you remember these things. Yeah, that, that you know, Nathan said you're forgiven. But are you really? And so going back to the devil and say, did God really say that? So his soul was not only, um, his conscience was not only burdened by his own son going after him, but this obviously was a faith issue because he doesn't bring up his son in this, but he does bring up the issue of salvation, which is even more interesting as you bring that to, to light. The emotions are there, but his fear is of a salvation sort. So any last thoughts before we dig in? No, I think that was that was a great summary of, of where he's at. 
Okay, so I have a, uh, this is, a, I was going to ask you this beforehand, but I'm not sure about this. So in our text, a reminder to our listeners to look at Psalm 3, it has the word Selah three times. And, and that word Selah is an unknown term. It is uh, probably a liturgical or musical type of term of some sort. But pastor, tell me this, do, do we read that when we read this or do we not read that? What's kind of the um, standard? Do you know? I <laughs> see. I don't know. Yeah, not authoritatively, <laughs> but I I did look into. I came across it was uh, uh, I don't know. It was um, something Luther had written an offering to the church in these last days, something like that. Um, and he does reference that, and he basically he references it in Psalm three actually. And he says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna deal with this now, and we're not gonna talk about it again." And um, I didn't read the whole thing because he's not uh, he's not concise. <laughs> but one of the things I did pick out, so he says, you know, the main thing is usually it's the understanding of like, it probably has something to do with the musical aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else he said that was really interesting was he says that, that that's a point to pause and just to meditate and think. Mm. Um, so you could almost, if you were reading through, through this, you could almost see, you know, you read verse one and two and you're not saying, okay, I've got 30 seconds more and then I'm done with Psalm three. We can move on to Psalm four, you know? Um, right. But he's, he's saying, read one and two, and then Salah, you know, sit, think about it, you know, take five minutes and just try to put yourself in that situation, understand what's going on here, and then do three, four and do that again. And then you finish off and you do it again. So they're kind of just points to say, don't rush, just just stop and think about it. And that's one of the be- beautiful things about poetry, too, is it's not designed to, to sprint through. It's designed to be very meditative. Very good. Very good. So I will, I will read it and then we'll pause for a second when we, when we do it as well. So here's what I'm going to do, Pastor, is I will read and pray um, all the whole chapter. I mean, the whole book, excuse me, of, of Psalm 3, go through the eight verses, and then we'll, we'll come back and slowly go through probably right where Selah is. So um, reminder to our listeners, too, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But also, when we read this, consider this part of your prayer today. So let us read Psalm 3, a Psalm of David. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Well, as we look at Psalm 3, um, I want to at least be able to uh, think about the Psalm's overall. And pastor, I love to ask the, the pastors who are on, just if someone were to ask you, what's up with the Psalms or what is what are these Psalms? How would you describe it to them? Uh, the Psalms in general? Yeah, in general for right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I, that's probably been one of the areas of the Bible that I've most underappreciated in my life. I remember the first time I started to understand the Psalms, maybe at the introductory level was taking right. Dr. Grobean's class at SEM. And he, he, he taught it. He was really good. But something he made us do, which I didn't appreciate at the time, 
was he had us memorize maybe six or seven Psalms. And uh, it had been years since I had really worked on memorization. So it was kind of challenging. But one of the things that it taught me was as you're, when you do that, you really have to focus on the words and the flow. And it almost, it almost gives you language to use throughout your life when you have that really written on your mind and then written on your heart. And, um, and that's really, I think, with the way the Psalms are in many ways meant to be used. And uh, just to give you an example, um, this is an example of the Psalms, but I think it gets kind of the same point across. When C.S. Lewis writes his book, The A Grief Observed, so he writes the book, The Problem of Pain, and he deals with the philosophical issues of, of evil and suffering in the world. And then he, he loses his wife. And mm. A Grief Observed is just a fantastic book because it's not a treatise. It's it's his diary. In fact, it was his diary that he he put into book form to help other people. And basically, you can see he struggles through everything. He goes through doubt. He questions God. He goes through everything that David would be going through here. And at the very end, he finishes his book and he says, um, it finishes in an Italian. And he says, Porsi Torno Eterno Fontana. And it, it really, you read it and you say, wait, what? Um, and right before that, he says, you know, at the end, my wife didn't look at me. She looked at the priest when she said, I'm at peace. And then he says, Porsi Torno, Eternal Fontana. So you have to, I had to work kind of hard to figure out what, what's going on here. Why does he finish his book that way? And what he does is he actually just, he pulls a little quotation out of Dante's uh, Paradiso, which was a, a poetic book that was really, he loved. Um, and he just connects it, it. It's when Beatrice, who's bringing Dante up into up into heaven, she finally turns. Her her role is done in Dante's life, and she returns to the fountain. And Lewis just it, it wasn't a re, it didn't he didn't go researching an illustration to put there. That was just what came to his mind was the the Italian poetic thing that captured the moment that he was trying to articulate about his wife, you know, passing his wife dying. Um, mm. The reason I use that example is that and that's how the Psalms are. They're they're poetry. Um, so there's something that just, you know, in, in moments of, of pain and moments of joy, that language and that verbiage is the divine language. It's, it's the, it's the prayers that God has given us for all situations in life. And it's not something that we say, okay, I need to insert a Psalm here, but it just happens naturally. And that's the way that the Psalms are designed, I think. And, um, Grobin showed it to me first by making me memorize it. And, um, the more I've explored the Psalms, you kind of start to realize that, it's the liturgy. It's the it's the language. It's the divine language. It's um, it's just beautiful the way it brings your Christian life and carries you through all sorts of different situations. That is wonderful. Thank you for for sharing that. And maybe we should challenge our listeners: memorize a psalm um, as we as we continue this week, and then by the time we get done with Second Kings and go back to the Psalms. Um, you can call in and recite it to us. I think this would be great. Of course, they might not do it because it's not for a class. But anyways, I, I love how you laid that out, the divine language. So let us dig into the first two verses um, of this divine language that points us to David and what he was dealing with. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So, uh, well, where do you want to begin with these verses? I have some thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I've got kind of verse three is probably my my main verse, but I think verses one and two sets it up. Um, is there anything theme-wise that you wanted to talk about before we dive into some of the kind of textual notes in verses one and two? 
I don't think so. Let's get into the notes and then we'll talk themes. Okay. Sounds good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of, one of the things I think that, that kind of strikes as you Salah, right. You kind of meditate on verse, verse one is uh, how many are my foes? How many are they that are rising against me? Um, you know, throughout life, we often have ideas of, of those people who are our enemies, but in this situation for David, these foes that are rising against him are his own people. In many cases, right. they're his own allies. I mean, Ahithophel, who we referenced earlier, he was previously David's uh, one of David's advisors. So, you know, it, it would be as if you had a split in your life and half of your dear friends, half of the people you care for, um, you know, as a pastor, maybe half of the people in your congregation are now plotting against you, you know, and despise you. And that's that's what David has on his mind when he's saying, oh, Lord, how many are my foes? He doesn't mean, you know, oh, no, here come the Babylonians. Well, he wasn't fighting the Babylonians, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, here come the Canaanites. They're, they're coming up against me. He's saying, you know, my own people, my own friends are, are turning against me and they have become my foes. And this is the, the source, really, of his pain there. And when it says many and many, it makes me wonder a little bit as I read this. And Dr. Seleska, when he started us in the Psalms, it just kind of said, okay, what, what, do they, what did he mean at that time? You know, how did it hit him as he wrote this down? And it makes me just wonder for a moment, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. So it's not that they're against him only, um, but they also are saying these things, as you said, kind of about the rants that are there. Any thoughts on that, the many part? Because um, this wasn't just one or two or just his son, Absalom, or just a few people. He writes many three times as an emphasis. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. That you know, it kind of reminds me of the um, you know the sticks and stones break my bones, but words never hurt me. Which of course is not <laughs> not true, right? I mean, words words right. really pack a punch, and um, not only words, but maybe a narrative. You know, someone can get you know get mad. You know, maybe you accidentally cut them off or something, and they yell at you, and you say, "Well, you know." you know, that kind of bummed me out for five, 10 minutes. But if a rumor takes, you know, takes place within, let's say your church or your family and everyone's really buying into it and berating you on something and you're saying, you know, that's not accurate or that's, that's not great. You know, that, that really hurts. And that's, you know, many are buying into this narrative. Many are rising against me um, Mm. and they're attacking my soul. You know, they're, they're jarring at me. They're using their language to, uh, to penetrate me. Now, one thing that's interesting, we have about a minute left before our break here, Pastor, is there's a distinction, I think, in verse 2. Is is this a faith issue of salvation, or is it a salvation from his enemies? How would you describe verse 2 in that way? Yeah, that's. I think that's a good clarifying question, because, of course, when we hear the word salvation, you know, it, it often, you know, is a, is a question of, you know, w- w- eternal life. Right. God saves us and, and takes us uh, to be with him, you know, when we die. And that, of course, is always, you know, a very important topic of discussion. Um, other times it's used for, you know, you might say, you know, wow, you really saved me back there. You know, you bailed me out of that tough situation. Um, so there is also that temporal aspect of, of salvation of, you know, David is facing severe temporal issues. And I, I don't think David here is, is asking the question, what happens after I die? I think David's asking the real question, like, what's going to happen with my kingdom? What's going to happen with my calling? You know, the Lord anointed me with his spirit to fulfill this role. Has he, has he, has he abandoned me in that role? So he, his idea of salvation, um, and especially with the John's from other people, is that God, is, God has left you. You're on your own now. You know, he's, he's not with you anymore. And, and you're going to have temporal pain and misery for that. 
And so this kind of, there is definitely a feeling of there is no hope because even God won't save us. And so there's a certain amount of lament in these first two verses, which connects us to the imprecatory Psalms as well. But right now we, we, we gather ourselves and maybe a little bit of a sailor by taking our break. We are studying <laughs> Psalm 3 with Pastor Brian Stecker, and we'll be right back. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 8.15 and Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne at 10.45, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Welcome back. We are studying Psalm 3 with Pastor Brian Stecker of Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua, New Hampshire. And we have gone through the first two verses. We've talked about a lot of context. And one thing that really struck me, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Pastor has to say of this too, is that the first two verses, he's speaking about his, his foes. And, and as he's looking at his foes, it can be kind of overwhelming. He has his nation is against him. His, some of his uh, top uh, uh, people that work for him are against him. His own son is against him. And then you might you start thinking, okay, well, maybe he's making a plan, you know, making a plan of, okay, all right, these people are against me. This is how I'm going to speak to them, or this is going to be my plan. But in verses three and four, he doesn't quite go there. So, Pastor Secker, I want to do this next is I want to read verses three and four and have you unpack what he does. Does he make up a battle plan against Absalom or where does his where do his eyes look? So let us read verses three and four and uh, reflect. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. So, uh, Pastor Stecker, what does he do? Does he make a battle plan against Absalom, or what is his approach? Hmm. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the big fundamental questions, and it, it shows us how how he ends his psalm too. Is he reiterates uh, who it was he looked to, what what you could say his battle plan was, and it's it's kind of a first commandment. It, it exemplifies what the first commandment calls for us, which is we fear, we love, and we trust in God above all things. Um, now that really that reaches a, a testing point when you're facing the kind of situation that David is facing, when, when you've got uh, what seems like an insurmountable opposition against you, who do you turn to? You know, if David trusted in something else more than God, um, he probably wouldn't have sat down and wrote Psalm 3. He probably would have been doing other stuff with his time. Time was probably very valuable, to, you know, in a situation mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, who would he fear more? And, um, you know, that really gets us to the point that he's going to move to He's going to move to a song of praise here in the second half, showing that um, his fear is more of God. And he's saying, you know, all my enemies are surmounted against me, but, you know, in God, I trust me. So we really see mm-hmm. he's exemplifying the first commandment here in, in, you know, in verse three and four, he's saying, you know, I look to God. He's, he's the shield around me. He's my glory. He lifts up my head. He answers me from his holy hill. That's his battle plan is relying on God. And he's going to then, he's going to plan accordingly then through that lens of God is my strength. God is my shield. And that's, so he, um, he breaks it down to saying God is his shield. God is his glory. And God is a lifter of my head, of my head. So any, any thoughts about unpacking those three dynamics? Cause those are pretty bold proclamations of who God is and what that means for us today. Any thoughts on how we could break all three of those realities down? Yeah, Luther does a really good, Luther says that verse three might be one of the, the main, it might be the main verse here, but also uh, Luther introduces somewhere else. He talks about um, the three things that suffering brings and he's going to say, and that's what David's going through here. He's suffering, right? And he'll say the three things suffering brings is first solitude, right? It makes you feel like you're alone. Um, impotency, it makes you feel like you're, you're powerless and then ultimately despair that you have no hope. And, you know, that's where you can see these three things are the answer to those three things, which suffering brings. God is my shield. Um, you know, that means I am not alone. He's there to help me. God, you know, it might look like I'm alone, but I'm not. So there's no more solitude. Um, impotency, you know, if God is my glory, then he is shining on me at, you know, who could be impotent, who could be powerless when God's on his side. And then um, third, the despair, There's the, that's where the lifter up of my head really answers that one. So, you know, wh- one of the things, too, I think is interesting about the first one, God is my shield, showing that, you know, there is no solitude. Um, if you need a shield, it doesn't mean that you're not going into battle, right? If, if I'm safe in my house, I don't need a shield. However, if I'm out in a place where, um, you know, I might be attacked or people might be aiming at me with either their words or actions, that's when you need a shield. So David, David isn't saying, you know, God, I don't want any problems in my life. He's saying, God, I know that there's going to be problems in my life, but you're my shield. You're how I can face those kind of situations. Um, and then back to your point, you know, what's his battle plan? Here's a place where he's not looking to his health, his wealth, his friends, you know, his nation. He's looking to God as that shield and the answer to his probably his despair or his feeling of solitude. 
And that's, you know, it reminds me a little bit of Ephesians, you know, it talks about the armor of God. There's kind of that mm-hmm. language in here to remind us of, of who God is and, and uh, to be a shield, especially when we feel alone. Um, the, the lifter of my head just kind of reminds me, and I can think of a, a specific, um, how do you say it? Not a specific movie or something along those lines, but where somebody will go to someone and lift their chin up. You know, kind of like, hey, chin up, uh, those kind of uh, realities that this is what God does. And for him, you can imagine him writing this, especially maybe he's he's he, he he's fleeing. He didn't really know what to do next. And you don't you don't look up and say, wow, look at the birds, look at the sky, look at the beauty of the creation. No, your head is down. And it very much is symbolic of not only um, the situation, but your feelings as well. And and God um, God has something to say to this. He has something to do for this. And so this is who God is. And he reminds us of the importance of where are we going to look in the time of despair. And, and, that, and well, in a reading this, it makes me remind myself of how I need to do that. I mean, how many times was, how difficult it was during COVID is to make the battle plan, my battle plan, my thoughts. How am I going to do this, this and that? And how rarely I did a prayer like this, Lord, you're my shield. Um, you're the lifter of my of my soul. Lord, help me in this situation. I did, but I definitely needed to improve on how I did that. And Davis gives mm-hmm. a, David gives us that example today. Any 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 other last thoughts on those uh, two verses? No, I, th- I think that's really well said. Or I, I guess if we could plug in verse four, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you're saying, he's not looking to his himself. He's not looking to the works of his hands. Um, I, I do find it really interesting that. You know, he, he, he answers that question. He says, well, I'm looking to God, but then he defines, he's crying aloud, aloud to the Lord. And where is God in this situation? And he says he's, mm. he's up in the holy hill. And, you know, I think that's, um, that's important because the, you know, faith looks to the unseen hill, right? So, you know, he feels like he has solitude, but his faith is what connects him to the fact that God is there and he's listening. And he's going to stand by his covenant promise to be there with David. Right. So it's not, you know, it's not like when Jacob wrestled with, I mean, it is in some ways, but, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. like when Jacob wrestled with, you know, the angel of the Lord or maybe wrestled with God himself. Um, You know, David's there. And if you were to look, if you were to watch David, it would look like he's just maybe, you know, sitting there on his knees by himself. But David's putting his faith that even though God's up on the hill, he's there. And the other thing that's that's interesting is he uses the word holy hill and Mm -hmm. holy always means something that's set apart. Um. And that's, you know, I think that's a really good example, because if you're if you're in a situation like what David's in, you know that you need help from, from you, you need help from above. Right. You need you need help from somewhere or somewhere else, something that isn't uh, isn't weak, like everything around you is weak. And that's where God's strength is really found in that holy hill. So God is God is pure. He's holy. Um, he's righteous. He's uh, going to keep to his covenant. That's where he is. But he's able to then reach down to David. Um, and, and be there with him in his suffering. And one one note that you said this so well, um, when preparing for this, I actually just got an email from one of our listeners that reminded me of it, is we have a book from Concordia Publishing House called Reading the Psalms with Luther. And you've been quoting Luther uh, quite a bit here this morning. And in this Reading the Psalms with Luther, it speaks about how this psalm 
um, belongs to the first commandment. As you said, that, you know, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to fear, love, and trust above God? But also, it's a reminder for us of the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer. And I wanted to uh, read that to us this morning, just to remind us how this really does connect to our own prayer life when we pray the Lord's Prayer. The seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. And why we wanted to highlight this is, uh, first of all, it's from the small catechism, the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer is that when it talks about possession and reputation, clearly David's thinking about that, um, but that the Lord would deliver us from evil, and that's what he's dealing with uh, quite a bit here, to be delivered, as you talked about before, that there, that he's looking for salvation, which means deliverance from the evil that surrounds him. And and you pray to the Lord, and from up, up, up in heaven, what, what does it say here, excuse me? Um, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil body and soul, that he answers us when we do pray. So there's there's a lot going on here that connects to the Lord's Prayer, to our daily walk, to what it means in heaven. Um, any any thoughts as we kind of, I mean, there's a lot of things coming at us at one time. Any any way to help us put this all together as we continue in these, as we look at the first four verses? Hmm. Yeah, thank you to whoever, whoever sent that in. That's a wonderful connection. Isn't that um, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, thy will be done, right? David, mm-hmm. David is playing, praying, thy will be done. You know, he's putting it to poetry and he's, he's he's articulating it in more detail. But you know, he's saying God's will is going to be done here, which is why we, he can transition to the second half, which is the song of praise and uh, finding a place of peace. Very good. So. We have a Lord that not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. And now we'll move forward a little bit to some simple language, but I think is very helpful for me as, as I look at this is, okay, I've prayed and, and now what? So verses five and six, we'll read verses five and six. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So he he says simple. I mean, it's kind of funny how he says it. Is this? He goes back to this 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 vocation of going to bed almost. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I read this. Like, oh, you know, we talk about callings. I got to take care of my kids, get care of my family, take care of my job. I gotta, you know, take care of my home. But the vocation of sleep, of course, I love that vocation. It's hard to get um, when you have young ones for yourself, but and myself too sometimes. But here he's saying, I lay down and sl- slept. And it reminds me of what we have, once again, in the small catechism, where you we pray the evening prayer, and right in italics in the bottom of that, it says, then go to sleep at once and in good cheer. So it's a reminder, I think, of two things. And I want your thoughts on this, too, is, first of all, when we lay down to sleep, we admit that we can't do it all. And David's definitely thrown that at us. And secondly, that when we awake, we realize that it is in God's hands. And I have that moment, too. If I pray before bed, go to sleep, wake up, I'm a different person. Not like I can take on the world or something. But you realize that um, I slept and the world's still turning. 
um, and mm. the Lord will sustain me for today. So any verse five specifically, any thoughts on that as we look at, well, I guess to say the vocation of sleep. I don't know how, how we want to put it. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's really good, Brady. I like the vocation of sleep. Um, I'm not doing what well, I'm failing at the vocation of sleep right now. That's true. <laughs> two yeah. under two. It's uh, Ooh, yeah. yikes. Uh, I'm envious of I shouldn't be, but I'm envious of David here. But yeah, uh, no, that's that's really well put. If you, th- you know, you make me think of, you know, if, if you have any kind of anxiety, um, you know, some people struggle from severe anxiety. But even if you just have anxiety attached to situations, as you go through your day, you can kind of manage that. It's always at night, right before bed, where that yeah. peaks. And that's really, that's a confrontation of your being called to, as you said, you know, pray, pray the evening prayer, pray to God, pray to God and put your worries on him. And that's the answer to anxiety, it, right? Is it's not going to be the works of my hands. I'm not going to fix all of these issues put before me. So just relax. The world's going to turn, as you said, go to sleep. You know, that's the answer to going to sleep. Easier said than done. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's where push comes to shove. Are you going to be anxious? you know, which, um, you know, some people struggle from, you know, the medical condition of anxiety. Um, but anxiety, you know, for maybe for rest of us is a sign that we are trying to over, we're trying to micromanage our life. And, you know, the, the reprise comes when we put, put all of that on God's, uh, in God's hands and then lay down into our vocation of sleep. Yeah. We're going to have to, I should have a whole sermon on a vocation of sleep. Same way people fall asleep during my sermon. Um, anyways, <laughs> so in verse six, it, it points us to, uh, I think a very, very strong language in scripture. And there are times that we need to hear these kind of words. Sometimes it can just, it's like a, a fingernails on a chalkboard, but then there are times we need to hear it in, in especially in the context that we're saying. So here it comes in verse six. I'm going to read it again. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. It, I, I think of it this way, Pastor, is there are times where we are afraid and someone tells you, don't be afraid. It makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. But here, yeah. when he puts in the context of verse five, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. It's, 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 I tend to use sarcasm way too much and I'm repenting continuously for it, but there are times it works and here's how it works and say, I'm sorry, does the Lord not have this all in his hands? What is your deal? Um, Isaiah 41, uh, 10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. That's not only a statement of, of what we believe, but it's God kind of using a little bit of sarcasm and saying, I'm sorry, I'm God. You're not what's going on here. Um, and, and, and in Psalm 27, whom shall I fear, uh, though all these things surround me? So, so Pastor, as we look at this, uh, when he says, I will not be afraid, why is that so important for us as Christian people? Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think you just hit maybe on maybe the most important things in the Psalms, right? Like you said, if you just go to somebody and say, hey, don't be afraid, um, it's probably not going to work, you know, unless if you give them a reason not to be afraid. So here's David, right? And he's, he's in, you could say, the pit of despair, at least in the first half of the psalm. Um, he finds his peace by turning to God. So this is, this is David's prayer. You know, X, um, you know, a couple thousand years ago, David wrote this. Um, you know, however, when Jesus is on the cross or in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see some of this too. But when he's on the cross, he doesn't necessarily quote Psalm 3, although you could say the people were also yelling at, at David or at Jesus when he's on the cross. Hey, there's no salvation for you, right? Um, you know, why don't you call on God and have him save you? So Jesus is receiving the same kind of taunts that David was receiving before. And then Jesus, when he's on the cross, he prays Psalm 22. 
Um, and I, I think that he prays the whole psalm there from the cross. So that's the beautiful thing about the psalms is this is David's words, but also it's Jesus' words just as much mm. as David's words. And now what do we do? Well, we are now invited to say the same words as David, say, say the same words as Jesus when he's on the cross. And now we're actually given the very language to deal with our fear in this situation. It's not just someone yelling at us and saying, you know, do not be afraid or someone saying, you know, here's a Bible verse that tells you that if you're being afraid, you're not, you know, you're not loving God like you should. Um, rather, this is just the language, the divine language that's given to us that connects you to the story of Jesus, which is the ultimate answer, connects you to even David's story and puts you in that grand narrative, takes you out of your fear and anxiety and says, the world kept turning for David. Um, Jesus was risen from the dead. Um, and in fact, he did all of this so that he can come to you in this situation and actually say, do not be afraid. And I've got a reason for you not to be afraid. I, I actually conquered death um, by going to the cross and then rising again three days later. And I like how you keep going back to that divine language, uh, not because we're not trying to prove the inerrancy of scripture or something, even though that doesn't hurt, mm -hmm. is is the mm -hmm. reality that there's going to be times like David, I almost imagine this too, that when you're in this kind of anxious situation, I'll call it, that you don't know what to say. You don't know what, how, how to describe it. And, and when you, when, as you have, Pastor, and, and myself too, when you sit with somebody who's going through a deep traumatic time, that their common statement is, I don't know what to say or do. And here God gives us this divine language to be able to say at times, even though maybe we are afraid, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Hmm. That Obviously, you're not just going to use verse 6 when you say that, because in verse 7 and 8, it reminds us why we say that. That's the danger of studying this when we separate the verses, is the reality is verses 5 and 6 connect with verses 7 and 8. But anyways, but he gives us those words that we will be able to say, I, I will not be afraid. And then we're able to fill our hearts and our ears and our eyes with the Lord Jesus, as you said so well. Of why can I, why would I not be afraid? Well, because it is the Lord who is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27. There he is on the cross, taking that upon himself. So before, I, before we talk anymore, I think we should read verses 7 and 8 to get the fullness of why we should not be afraid. So let's read 7 and 8 and we'll, we'll wrap this up. We have about seven minutes left here. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So, Pastor, how if someone would say, well, he says, I will not be afraid. I mean, that's crazy, Pastor, they'll say to you. Um, based on these verses, what would you say is the reason you should not, you will not have to be afraid in any situation? Hmm. Yeah, maybe I can use an illustration. So, um, please, you know, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, you know, that's that's the moment where he he's certainly seems to be the most um, he staggers. You know, he's 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 shaken. Um, in fact, I heard um, I came across a, a good sermon it's called The Agony of Christ. It dealt with Jesus when he's there in the garden. And it makes this comparison. It says before Jesus goes to the cross, God is going to show Jesus what the cup of wrath looks like. So in the garden, Jesus is actually looking at the cup of wrath and what it is he's about to endure. And that's why he's sweating drops of blood. That's why he's shaking. And, he's, and, he, and what's he do? He prays. Um, in fact, in the sermon, it says he's looking into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And that's that's where Jesus is at when he's in the garden. 
Um, so in, in the narrative, it says, you know, so Jesus is, you know, he's praying to his father and he says, you know, can this cup pass from me? So I'm looking into the cup. I'm looking into Nebuchadnezzar's furnace and wow, is this, is this overwhelming? This isn't even just the cross. This is the cosmic judgment on all sin. Um, can this cup pass from me? And then it says that an angel comes to Jesus and, and you're not told exactly what it is the angel does, although I, I, I suspect, and, I, and some of the commentators I've read also suspect, that the angel simply tells Jesus what the answer is. And the answer mm. isn't the cup's going to pass. The answer is you're going to have to endure the cup. But when that happens, Jesus is strengthened. So just by understanding the Father's will, he now rises up. And you can see after this, he, he his eyes are set on the cross. His resolve is there. Um and he moves forward. So, you know, hmm. this is, and this is where, you know, now the enemies, they can gnash their teeth at, at, at him. They can um, say, where is your salvation? You know, your, your God's for, you know, your father's forsaken you. They can jaunt, they can jeer. No matter what, Jesus moves forward from that moment with strength because he's resting on the certainty of what God's will is in his life. And he knows, he knows he can see the resurrection at the end. He knows what he's going to have to go through. Um, but he's not shaken, you know, after that. So what do we do? We do what, what Christ does and we rest in that thy will be done, you know, and even if that looks like I'm going to be in a situation like David's and, you know, can I imagine my children rebelling against me and all of this, you know, I pray I don't go through that, but can I do what Christ does and say, you know, thy will be done and, and to really put my confidence in God's will being done is going to be the best possible outcome. You know, it's as if God says, Hey, Brian, if you knew as much as I knew, you would actually be praying for what I'm going to give you. You know, you don't know as much as I do, which is why you're praying for a bunch of other things. But if you knew mm. as much as I do, you know, here's this is what you would actually want, even though the cup looks really difficult for you. And, you know, that's what's going to give you strength. That's what's going to give you um, comfort and peace as you move forward. That's what's going to make you pray like what, what David does here, right? There, that that is that is wonderful because I, I, I what came to mind was uh, one of our one of our guests, Pastor John Lukomsky, talked about when Solomon prayed for wisdom. That uh, and it's 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 a it, this is kind of was eye opening to me too. Was what Solomon also should have prayed for was faith. That kind of like you said that if we knew all that what we should be praying for, one of the main things we should be praying for is faith and that's basically what what David is doing this whole time is uh is lord help me which is a faith statement when he says arise o lord it's not that he doesn't you know believe in god it's just that he knows well i know that god will do this but pray lord that it may come to me now this salvation um this understanding of of who I am. Why don't I need to be afraid? Because I know the Lord arises and he's a God of salvation. And then no matter what hits mm -hmm. me, just like Jesus, like you said, the angels literally ministered to him as he did in the desert, um, that he will protect me from my enemies, even though they may be thousands upon thousands that he describes here today. Now, pastor, we have about two minutes left here. I want to get to verse eight. Verse eight is a powerful statement of salvation belongs to the Lord. Why is that such a wonderful way to end the psalm? Yeah, it circles it circles back to where where you started, right? Which was what's David's battle plan? Um, mm. You know, it makes me think of Matthew five, where Jesus is um, given the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, "You know, blessed are you when people insult you, 
Um, well, David's certainly being insulted here, right? He's, <laughs> he's certainly overrun. Um, and we look at that and we say, that doesn't sound like a blessing. Um, but the point is, what do, you, what do you do in the face of that? And for David, the correct answer was you turn to God. And if you're turning to God, that's that's your shield. You know, that's your glory. That will lift your head up. That's going to be your strength. Um, it's the only strength that the that that can that can't be undone because it comes from God. Um, it's the only peace. You know, the peace that the world cannot give is found in that answer. Um, and then ultimately, you know, it, it finishes with salvation. It belongs to the Lord, right? It doesn't belong to to any other helper, any other earthly helper, any other scheme. It all goes back to if you fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Well, Luther says if you can do that, you don't need the other commandments because you're, you're, you know, that's that's the answer. All the other nine are um, commentary on that first commandment. If you can fear, love, and trust in God above all things, that will be the light to your to your path, and uh, the light to your peace and to your strength and to all those good things. If we trust in the first commandment, we truly will trust that he will deliver us from all evil. Pastor, in about 30 seconds we have left here, how would you summarize this uh, this wonderful psalm for us today? Yeah, it's, it's the words that God has given to us as an answer to what to do in times of suffering. And it's not, you know, we've studied it and that's an important thing to do, but in the end, uh, it works if you go home and pray it. And pray it in such a way that it's written on your heart, and the Holy Spirit will, will bring those words back to you in times of need, and it'll be a great comfort. Pastor Brian Stecker of Grace Lutheran Church of Nashua, New Hampshire, giving us God's strong word in Psalm 3. Pastor Stecker, first of all, God bless you with your with your new with your son and your the divine vocation of sleeping. Thank you again for being our guest this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Brady. Saints of our Lord, David had to flee. We sometimes have to flee from temptation and the work of our enemy, Satan. But we pray like David, just like him. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? But he, and he answers us with his fleeing, not trying to come with the greatest comeback of words, but to look to the Lord. He is your shield. He is your glory. He is a lifter of your head. And he is the one who is our Savior, who is Christ, who has had the victory. And we're able to say, as he says in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.